Last week, y'all was all up and through my DMs and my Twitters. I mean, just loving it. It was so good that we had to give you a part two. Uh, because Dondre uh, basically monopolized the entire conversation, which is essentially what was expected. Not only because he has such a bountiful personality, but honestly, I mean, I'm curious to hear what a man has to say about the bullshit that men be doing. So, you know what? I let him take the mic. I know some people felt like he was mansplaining, and I was like, I mean, they do have some splaining for themselves. So there's some splaining to do. So there's that. I mean, did I almost snuff him when he said I needed to relax? Yes. Yes. But but we move past, uh, we think back to lifting of dressers, and we feel like things get balanced out. What we didn't get to do, though, is we didn't get to hit you all with some DMT. We show as hell also didn't get to drop these jams. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We dropping on these hoes. <laughs> so this week's jam dropping. Miss Andrus, which is one who hates men. Versus whatever I am. And the reason why this is important to note is an important distinction to make because y'all really be out here thinking that women who simply hold men accountable or want to make sure that they're not, you know, carrying forth toxic masculinity, that you that that, that those types of women hate men. And that is simply false. But it also doesn't make us necessarily a feminist either. And the reality is, is that there's also some of us who simply just are ethical. You know, like it's just ethics. It's just like don't treat people like shit no matter their gender, race, class, etc., etc. And so a misandrist is somebody who hates men no matter what they do, no matter what they are, no matter where they fit in their lives. They're just not about men. And I think that we have to really create a distinction because there's this toxic masculinity basically teaches you that if you simply are challenging men, then that means you hate men. You know what I mean? That you, if you're simply going up against the idea that patriarchy has these rules and that those rules are not okay for everybody else, that you are therefore trying to like bring men down. And that's just not the case at all. What we're trying to do when we call these things out, when we challenge these notions and these social norms, what we're actually doing is pushing up against a reality that's been set in place by those who don't care about the equal opportunities, rights, and experiences of others, particularly of women. Now, there's this thought process that also says that if you're not putting men first, you're a misandrist. Or that if you're simply, like, supporting women, you're a misandrist. And I don't, like I said, I don't go by feminist. I don't know if I'm even a womanist. But what I am is, is somebody who is not here for allowing anybody to be without accountability for, the, for their behavior. The thing about it is, is that what patriarchy and toxic masculinity do on a regular basis is create 
a construct that says men don't have to be held accountable for their behavior, especially for specific behaviors, especially specific behaviors in relation to women. And that is grounded in the idea that women ain't worth having to be held accountable for. Account, money, worth, money. We're not of value. You understand what I'm saying? So... I feel like we have to really take a look at that. And y'all men out there who are listening, you all have to take a look at that and wonder why is it that so many of your peers, when a woman like me is saying, yo, that shit ain't cool, that we're man bashing. Man bashing. Man basher. I mean, that's the other gem drop today, right? It's misandrous, aka man basher versus whatever the hell I am because I'm not a man basher. I'm a man lover. And because I love y'all, I want you to be your best, but you've been tricked, bamboozled, hoodwinked into thinking that you don't have to be your best simply because you got a dick. Okay? That's really what happened. Patriarchy tricked men into thinking that mediocrity was okay. It was just super cool and super easy. And now when people like myself are like, mm-mm. That's not okay. People think that you are a misandrist and you don't like men. And it's like, no, it's not that I don't like men. I don't like what society has created of men. I don't like what we uphold men to be. I don't like what we have defined masculinity to be. And I feel like my love for men is shown in the fact that I'm not over here saying like, Fuck all, all these dudes, dudes and, you, you know, know, I don't need to be a, a, engaged with any of them. No, I have a lot of homeboys. I have a lot of exes. You know, I have people who have, I have friends who have sons, etc. And I want everyone to always just be considering what is really going to be like the best way to be a part of this existence. And I feel like the problem is that toxic masculinity... <sighs> It just be making dudes feel like they don't got to think about that at all. You know? I mean, it's the same thing as male privilege, white privilege. These things exist. And I know there's black men listening right now. They're like, there's no such thing as black male male privilege. privilege. I'm like, get the hell out of here. There may not be necessarily in the larger scope of things, but within black men and black women, fuck out of here. There absolutely is. Absolutely. And until we start looking at each other and talking to each other, as opposed to looking at each other and talking at each other, we're never going to get past that. And until we start understanding that when people challenge us to be our best, that doesn't mean that they don't like us. That doesn't mean that they hate us. That doesn't mean they're a mis- misandrist. It actually means the opposite. That means they care. That means they're dedicated. And that means that they actually love us and they want us to love ourselves just as much. Don't believe the lies they tell you. Step it up! Now, because we are in a part two situation, we have a little more time this episode for some DMTs and we got some good ones in the bag. So I'm going to do my best to answer these as thoroughly as possible, even though some of them are incredibly existential questions that require the length of a novel or possibly world book encyclopedia volumes to properly answer. Nonetheless, I appreciate a challenge, so I will go forth steadily. First question. How does one explain to a guy that being a man and expressing emotions are not mutually exclusive 
And how can one do so in a way that does not invalidate his desire to provide a sense of comfort and be a stronghold in his relationships? Well, I think that off top, you have to acknowledge the fact that in order to be able to truly be a sense of comfort and a stronghold in someone's relationships, you have to be able to experience empathy. And in order to experience empathy, you have to have a certain level of experience expressing your own emotions, right? So, you know, part of it is just the fact that if you really want to be able to like see me eye to eye and be solid in this relationship, you got to be able to relate to me. And you can't relate to me if you're not even allowing yourself to relate to yourself. And that's what expressing your emotions is. I mean, it's literally relating to yourself. And the reality is that a lot of guys, you know, try and put like emotions to women and like, that's, that's not, not what, what we're supposed, supposed to, do. to do. But if you're in a relationship, what so much about relationships is emotions and the expressiveness of being like, you know, a two part experience. And if I'm the only one expressing shit, what are we really doing? You know, I mean, I just feel like it's a backwards conversation to think that men are only good for providing in terms of financial support or, you know, physical protection. So when you talk about like strongholds and relationships, I think part of the entryway into that conversation is redefining what it means to be a stronghold in a relationship and expanding that definition beyond what society has taught for so long, which is that men are really only there to hunt and we are there to gather. You know, yeah, this, this is, of course, in heterosexual exchanges. exchanges. All of that is turned on its head these days because the realities are changing drastically as people's awareness is growing drastically to break beyond these, like, finite, uh, you know, roles of, of which who does what. I mean, can you imagine... Like that, with, with with these finite concepts, it would mean that we couldn't have women, you know, actually having an opportunity to become president. It would mean that we couldn't have women, you know, actually as like physicians. You know, there's only like two cardiothoracic, like there's like literally last year was like the first black woman board certified cardiothoracic surgeon in America. Are you kidding me? That, that happened, happened last year. year? I mean, if these limitations were real, it would mean that, like, Arya Stark couldn't become, you know, a, a woman with no face and be out here Valar Morgulising people. And that's preposterous to imagine that. To imagine. Imagine Arya not out here slaying Freys with Needle and taking them all. Can you tell how much I miss Game of Thrones? I miss it so much. I miss it so much. I miss it so much. <sighs> the point is, these roles are being redefined. And one of the things that that means is that it's also broken open the reality that we can all define our own relationships ourselves. And society is no longer giving us a cookie cutter definition of what a relationship needs to be. So for you two, you can define what that is. And that's up to you to say, like, listen, the stronghold in this relationship is not only, you know, you being a provider and this, that, and the third, but also being able to uh, relate to me emotionally. And um, feel free to get into your emotions to do that. Next question. I'm not sure if this has to do with toxic masculinity, but why do men feel the need to confess their feelings only after you remove themselves from, <laughs> only after you remove yourself from their life? 
Yeah, I don't know if that has to do with toxic masculinity, but it definitely has to do... Well, I think actually we can always relate it back because there's a certain level of possessiveness, right? That comes with toxic masculinity. And so it's like, oh, you're not mine anymore. Let me do whatever needs to be done to be able to bring you back into possession. Like, oh, you, you want, want emotions? emotions? Look, Look, I'm, I'm crying, crying, girl. I'm, I'm crying. crying. Um... And so that makes it less, but that means though, it's not even really about relating to you. It's about owning you, you know? And it's like, that to me is the frustrating part of it. Don't be trying to just get me back. Be working to keep me, not trying to catch me. Next question. How do you deal with a mansplainer who will never realize that he is the bane of existence to women everywhere? Why would you deal with that person? Like, in what form or fashion are you dealing with them? I, I hope, hope you're not, not sucking this person's dick. Because that is the first thing that you stop doing. Immediately. Because they obviously have had no problem getting the WAP. If you... <laughs> Rebecca made a face at my referring to it as the WAP. I have several synonyms for fellatio, Rebecca. The WAP. The choke. The turtle. <laughs> My personal favorite, the marvelous. Yeah, I can go on. I also have several synonyms for vaginas. I mean, the magic middle, the sanctuary. Well, I mean, we, we love the fun box. Um, <laughs> Brendan smiled to himself about that one. Uh, <laughs> thumbs up. Uh, you know, and then there's the classic for JJ, right? We all know about that. There's the pink taco. Can't forget that one. <laughs> Which living in Los Angeles, it's just, there's just so many tacos. So that's a constant. And then there's a restaurant actually called the pink taco. And they knew what they were doing. They definitely came up with that and were like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they patted themselves on the back for that. But, um, yeah, and then, of course, my favorite, Shangri-La. Because it's paradise. Like paradise. But back to the question. Mansplainers, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like dealing with mansplainers, so much about that is literally just being quiet. I saw a Tumblr post one time where this young woman was saying, like, this is how you deal with somebody who's not trying to hear you, with a man that's not trying to hear you. Basically, you let them talk, but you pay no attention when they're talking. And they're inevitably going to react to that because it's pointless if you're not paying attention. So then when they react to it and say like, you know, why, why aren't you, you paying, paying attention? attention? You say, oh, okay, okay I'll, I'll pay, pay attention. attention. And then again, you don't pay attention. And then they will again be like, why, why aren't you, you paying, paying attention? attention? And you're like, well, well because, because I'm just not a part, part of the conversation. conversation so I didn't feel like, like it was necessary for me to pay attention. And they're like, well, well no, what, what I'm, I'm saying, saying is, and they will keep talking. And then you don't pay attention again. And by this point, they'll be like, what the hell? Why are you not paying attention? And you're going to say, because what I have to say back to you is of no value to you, which means that you have no value on my attention. So why should I have to pay it? Now, she didn't come up with that part. I did. I'm going to take credit for it. It was pretty fucking clever. But the reality is that she basically was saying, 
the best way to deal with a mansplainer is to not pay attention to his explanation. And then that will force the person to have to, at the very least, listen to you in order to get their shit explained. And if not, leave the room. I mean, I'm really good for like, you know what? I, I have to be excused. <laughs> Would you excuse me? I forgot who it was. I don't think it was Jeff Goldblum, but there's some actor who literally his way of getting out of any conversation is just going, Would you excuse me? And then exiting. Like, without, <laughs> it's not like someone came and tapped them on the shoulder. It's not like their phone rang. It's literally just like, I don't want to talk to you. Would you excuse me? <laughs> And I never remember it when I'm in a situation like that. It's not until I leave that I'm like, fuck, I should have, would you excuse me? Damn. I should have W-Y-M-E-E-D. No, W-Y-E-M-D. Fuck. So, yeah. I, like I said, I hope that you're not sleeping with this person. And clearly, this person is the bane of existence to women everywhere. Somebody's fucking them. And that's always the bottom line. So then the question becomes to me, who are you women? That are fucking these losers. I let it just resonate real quick because I wanted you to take a second to say, am I one of these women? I was one of those women. We've all been one of those women because we, if, especially if we didn't have a dad, you didn't even know no better. And then you realize, hold up, I'm part of the problem. I got to stop fucking these losers. losers. You got to. You got to. You have to stop it. And you know what? While we're on that, I have been in a in a in a in a journey of self-discovery about like identifying toxic masculinity and immediately being like, you know what? I don't want this in my life with like the men I'm seeing. And what's been crazy though is the times where I have identified it and then somebody in my life, and it's usually an acquaintance, but I still need to stop listening to acquaintances, but it'll usually be somebody who basically tries to like debunk what I've acknowledged and kind of make it more so like. I'm overlooking these other positives and focusing too much on the negative. Or it's kind of like I'm being choosy or picky or whatever. And, you know, I always talk about Tajay because he's the worst nigga ever. And we talked about him in the last episode. <laughs> and I'm bringing him up in this one because it's toxic masculinity. And the reality is that I had identified early, like, you know what? This dude is on a different wavelength than me, and I feel like he's very pushy in a way that is toxic. I had identified that early, and it was an, an acquaintance of mine who actually was like, Amanda, I think that you're overlooking the fact that like, he was at dinner when you texted him, and he called, he answered the phone while at dinner and acknowledged you and you know spoke to you. So like he's clearly not selfish. And then like we were on the phone and he was like going back and forth. And she was like, yeah, but he stayed on the phone. Now listen, that is so goddamn basic. And I let her get in my head and make me think, okay, maybe I'm, maybe, ah, maybe I'm being extra. And I can't let that happen. And you all can't let that happen anymore either. We have to listen to our gut. We have to listen to our gut because my gut has said to me, no, no dice. No, no dice. dice. But someone else who hasn't had the same level of exploration as I have told me, no, no, it's fine. And that's the other part that we have to look at with ourselves and our friends too. It's like they mean well, but by any means, they mean well. But not all of us are on the same journey or have reached the same point of exploration. And sometimes we also take advice from people because deep down we want something to be positive even though we know it's negative. 
And so I know that like I wanted something positive. So I let her false advice lead me down a garden path when I had already recognized the toxic masculinity from the beginning. But we get so tired of bumping up against toxic masculinity over and over and over and over again that we can trick ourselves and think that, okay, maybe it's not that. Maybe I'm not recognizing that. But you know what? This shit is prevalent, man. I remember when a dude told me in 2006, yo, 90% of dudes is trash. So don't beat yourself up for running into a lot of them. 2006, he told me this. So, you know, we got to kind of like hold ourselves accountable in that respect. And I definitely you know, wanted to just point that out because it's something that happens all the time. And it comes from the people in your life that want the best. They actually do want the best for you, but they want you to have some good shit. And so they kind of are like looking for the light and you just shouldn't have to look for it. You shouldn't have to look for it. It should be shining right in your face. If you have to educate men who you otherwise like about how not all attention is good and how men don't always mean well when they try to get your attention and talk to you in public, is that a red flag? Uh, yeah 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 because that's a man who thinks that his words are golden like if i'm walking down the street uh just a, a man acknowledging me is not always a good thing and it's like there's this idea that that a lot of men i don't know if a lot but definitely the people you're talking to seem to think that if they're giving you a compliment then <laughs> that's good like what's the problem and it's like, yeah, but then there's also like a miss, there's like a misdirect in terms of like what compliments are, you know? Like a lot of men think that telling you that they want to fuck you is a compliment. And that is not the case. I don't want your dick. That's not the case. And I can't even vouch for the fact that like your dick is going to be a blessing to me. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think that there's certain dicks that would be a compliment. You know, I think that's when we, that's when guys get into this like, oh, oh but, but if that guy had said something to you, then you wouldn't be offended by it. And it's like, okay, yeah, because I want to have sex with this man. So it's mutual. You know what I'm saying? But that guy right here, this guy right here, this guy who just shit behind a Chinese restaurant, I don't want to fuck this guy. guy. I don't. This guy right here that's wearing lugs and uh, Jinkos, I don't want to fuck this guy. Okay. So that's not a compliment for me because we don't have the same intention. But you know what's wild? You don't know who has the same intention. So that's why you shut it up and you just err on the side of caution of the fact that, you know what? There's no way that I could know if that woman wants to sleep with me. So let me just keep it to myself and just say, nice dress and keep it moving. And there's like a ways to compliment. So I think that maybe that's the conversation with them. You know, it's like if they really feel like there's no no bad thing that a guy could say to a woman on the street, that's psycho. Like, how can you not think that there's bad attention? There's obviously this is not like there's no bad press. Like that's that's not the conversation we're having. There's absolutely a distinction between when we are giving someone praise and when we are giving someone harassment. And that's the distinction that you need to make for them. When is it harassment and when is it praise? It's praise usually when it's positive and when it is moderate. And um, I feel like harassment is when it's excessive 
when it is, you know, sexualized, objectifying or negative. And also when it is wanting of a response. You know what I mean? Like if you give a compliment, give a compliment and keep it moving. Like it shouldn't even require anything. I mean, I pulled up to a stop sign the other day and this chick was walking up and her hair was glorious. And I rolled down my window and said, you better wear that hair. You better wear it. And she was like, oh, yes, thank you. And I drove off. I didn't wait. You know what I'm saying? Like, the only reason I got the thank you was because I was still at the stop sign. But if she hadn't said thank you, I wouldn't have been like, fuck Fuck you, bitch, and your dog. You know what I mean? Like, that's not. But that's like a real thing that happens. Like, because the reality is they're not giving you the compliment to make you feel better. They're giving you the compliment to make them feel better. And that is where we run into a problem. So that's the question you ask them, I think. Why do you give women compliments? Because I'm telling you that they may not even say this, but what they want, what they, what's in their head is because I want them to know I think they're cute. They don't care. They don't care. You want them to know that you think you're cute and you're acknowledging them that they're cute. And because you think you're cute, they should feel special that you think they're cute. You're, you're probably, probably not even that cute. But, you know, you said you like them all together on other, on other aspects. So maybe they're not a full idiot. But it is a red flag. That was the question. It's crimson. Next question. How do you work through toxic masculinity in a work environment, especially when you oversee this person? Human resources. That sounds like an HR mediation immediately. I mean, I think that that's like the worst, right? You're their boss, but you still got to deal with their ridiculousness uh, and their feeling of like entitlement based on their dick. Oof, yeah, that's a bitch. I don't really know what you can do about that. Because um, you don't want to have to assert yourself like you're having a cockfight with them, you know what I mean? Like, that's tiresome. But it's also... Uh, <laughs> I just thought of how tiresome it would be to have a cockfight, like for your wrist. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta get the brace. I gotta get my brace. My carpal tunnel is acting up. Pop, pop. But then it's like, and then like, and then someone else comes in, but they're like, they're like the master cockfighter because they don't have to use their hands. They're like, look, no hands. I know what Rebecca's thinking about is the fact that when we were in the former Amanda Land, there was somebody who had been in Amanda Land who had popped, not while we were recording. <laughs> I'm delirious. I've been up for so long. Next question. This one's a doozy. So, how do we, society, teach young boys that being a man doesn't mean you have to be stronger or better than women? I mean, I feel like it starts at home. And with the ideals that you place in front of your children and the context that you place those ideals in, I think it's also in the media and in what we put forth in our media and the messages that come through in music and television and film. And I think it's also just kind of like a takes a village type of mentality, where if you see something, say something. And I know that there's people that don't agree with that. There's definitely the mind your business crew. But if it happens in front of me, guess what? 
it's my, my business. business. You know, there's there's because there's really treacherous results to this, right? Because when we when we assert that dominance is an indicative part of being a man, then we continue to push this narrative that says that that needs to happen in every facet of their life, uh, whether it's in business or in romance or in, you know, sex, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that the the key is to, within these different um, spaces, all of us being very conscious about what we applaud, what we award, and what we congratulate, you know? I do a lecture called The Side-Eye Seminar, Identifying and Defying Everyday Forms of Sexism. And within the seminar, I tell different anecdotes about my life, but all within the context of different forms of everyday sexism. Because I think a lot of us, when we think about sexism, we just think of like the top line items. The top line items like equal pay, you know, um, uh, reproductive rights, uh, rape culture. We kind of like get right there. But we don't think about like how these things are pervasive from like very like microaggressive, microaggressive forms. You know, even the statement like, Oh, you're, you're good, good at, at that, that for, for a girl. girl. Like that is an everyday form of sexism. We have come to accept that as like something that's okay. But really what it does is supports exactly what this person is talking about in their question, which says that women are expected to be less good at something. And so the only way for a man to assert his manlyhood or his masculinity is to show that he is better than this girl, you know, at doing something. And that is incorrect. Um, you know, I talk about the fact that there's this thought process that, like, uh, girls are weak. You throw like a girl. And that's just simply false. I mean, that's why I love the, the, the movie um, The Trouble with the Curve. Because they found a way to use physics, except, you know, to use physics uh, and, and, and reduce the need for strength uh, to equalize the playing field. Science. But when it... When it gets like really to the nitty gritty of things, it it still comes back to parenting. I really do feel it comes back to parenting, and it and not just like the physical like I had this baby and so I'm parenting, but like I said, like the the it takes a village because you know we you you send your kids off to school, you send your kids off to camp, you send your kids off to somebody else's house. They're seeing things in these other places that you're not necessarily getting to monitor. And we all have to be on the same page of really supporting the, the trampling and dismantling of patriarchy by 100% committing to, re, to showing that there is no uh, inequality between men and women that should be based on competition. None. Like, there is just not valid. And uh, this idea that says that, you know, men are stronger than women, it's like, have, have you, you ever, ever had cramps? cramps? Okay. Next question. Do you think media in general is moving away from themes that encourage toxic masculinity? I mean, I think in general is a strong word, but I think there's absolutely more consciousness, like, especially even in scripts like where like they'll call out like oh this is not okay um and it'll be like kind of quippy like at this point i feel like it's still like look at us acknowledging this thing right here see 
That was toxic masculinity. We are good. Pat on head. Give us raise and grant for being against patriarchy. But I do, I do believe that. I mean, I think that there's even with the Me Too movement and Time's Up, um, it's even forcing the hand even more because it's actually like people who are within media saying this is not okay and we want to challenge this. So yeah, I believe so. I think it's doing way more than they are for racism. Um, I think that there's still like a lot of incredulity when it comes to racism. Just like, what do you mean that's racist? (laughs) There's elements moving in the right direction. And that's good. But it's kind of like daylight savings time. Where you're thinking that it's getting darker earlier. But it isn't really. We just like move the finish line. So we got to pay attention to the fact that like, you know, there's still a lot more work to be done to get around the sun. So this week on People I Like, I mean, we have been talking about toxic masculinity ad nauseum for the past two episodes. And I feel like that's almost (laughs) the hypocrisy of it is that like we hate toxic masculinity, but yet we dedicated two episodes to talking about it. So here we go. But we just lost one of my favorite poets, authors and playwrights of all time, Ntozaki Shange. All week I was honoring her on my Instagram with uh, little known pieces from various works of hers. And she actually addressed toxic masculinity on a regular basis within her work, especially in her seminal work for colored girls who considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Uh, whether it was from, you know, the concept of uh, rape or... Um, just like infidelity um, of of a father who had returned from Vietnam and was just not treated for mental health, killing his babies. Um, the the confusion of trying to make new relationships with people who are emotionally scarred, you know, and even just the basics of trying to have an exchange with someone who doesn't truly understand what an apology is like her classic poem sorry's uh this is a truncated version but one thing i don't need is any more apologies i got sorry greeting me at my front door you can keep yours i don't know what to do with them they don't open doors or bring the sun back they don't wash cars i get them on in paper didn't nobody i can't remember this line (laughs) because of sorry I'm going to tack a sign to my door. Leave a message on my phone. If you've called to say you're sorry, call somebody else. I don't use them anymore. Beep! Then she has another piece called Somebody Almost Walked Off With All Of My Stuff. Like a kleptomaniac working hard and forgetting while stealing. This is mine. This ain't your stuff. Somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff and didn't even care enough to send a note. And you know that speaks to being a woman and it's like you giving all your energy to somebody and then they just bounce with your shit, with your essence. And you're like, whoa, I gotta get this back. And it's like, how did this person feel like they could do that? Why? Why? Then she has another piece. She says some numbers at the beginning that I cannot remember, but I have loved you without any... Without any, ooh, wait, what is it? Without any assistance and no guidance from you, I have loved you assiduously. And uh, she talks about just like how she has had this plant from this man 
And she'd been watering this plant, waiting for him to come back. And now she's like, I'm throwing this plant out the motherfucking window. Now, Tyler Perry made a, 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 a noble effort at doing For Colored Girls the film. The cast was fantastic. The, not surprisingly, the artistic choice and creative direction was not. Um, you know, I think Tyler knows this about himself. I do. I think that what he has done in building a studio is incredible. But I think that what would be even more credible is to use that studio to support artists who have a, a much more ad, uh, just, uh, what's the word I am looking for? Thoughtful uh, way of 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 presenting art, especially in the black experience. I digress. Sean Gay, we love you. We thank you. We honor you and the work that you left behind and its ability to uh, transcend space and time. Because even if we reach a point where the topics that you discuss are no longer relevant to the present day, they encapsulate an emotion and a feeling and an understanding in such a poignant way that they are a time capsule of not just history, but of the people. And that is what poets do. Historians remember the facts. Poets write the feelings. The last dose. Yeah, man. What a what a two episodes. To even just continue about Shangay, I think what she did in so many of her works was she gave women a voice in such a raw way that discussed the behaviors of men in a way that we just weren't hearing at that time. You know, like now I feel like there's a lot more outlets for that. But with Color Girls in particular, when that came out in the 70s, it was like, oh, she keeping it a hundred. A hundred. Oh, you keeping it a hundred, a hundred. And that was so timely. My mom always talks about how, like, in the 70s still, like, women just wouldn't... Th- th- there still was a, a hush amongst women in terms of keeping it 100 about what was going on in their homes between the men, etc. And she always talks about how there was so much abuse that was happening simply because of silence and because of a fear of what would happen if you expressed what was really happening. And not what would happen in terms of even like physical violence, but just in terms of breaking down, you know, the shroud of perfection that so many women are expected to uphold within our relationships. I think it's it really has become um, a real growth point to the fact that toxic masculinity being a part of the conversation in such a real way these days is encouraging so many more women to be able to actively look at their roles in these exchanges and... Um, not necessarily their roles, but look at their exchanges and 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 gauge, is this toxic? Because for so long, none of us had a gauge on if any of this shit was toxic. It just seemed like dysfunction was supposed to be the way that it was supposed to go. It just seemed like patriarchy was the natural vibe, you know? And so much of that has been supported forever. And there are women who support this. You know, there are women who have sent their daughters to their death uh, because of not wanting to stay with a husband or because of infidelity or because of rape, et cetera, et cetera. There are women who have remained silent as their me- as their sons have become tyrannous individuals like Tajay's mother, just tyrannous individuals across the nation. Because I feel like moms be knowing that they children, they be knowing. They be knowing. Like my ex, his mama knew he was trash and she told me. She was like, um, you know what? She told me without saying it. 
but she done donated to every thing I've ever done since me and that fool broke up. And y'all know he owe me $2,000 because I've talked about it before. But she done paid it back in her own way. That, that doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you're, you're off the hook, the hook if, if you're listening. listening. But I say all that to say that I am somebody who has experienced so much toxic masculinity throughout my entire life and did not even have the language to identify it until recently. You know, because you just sum it up as, oh, that's just my dad, or that's just how they are, or boys will be boys, or what else can you do? Or we've heard the classic, right? Well, she asked for it. What were you wearing? Oh, she, you have an attitude. You're not ladylike, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I spent 10 years in hip hop, y'all, which is the bastion of toxic masculinity. It is a cesspool. It is a cock fest and you have no party favor. And I didn't really understand it at the time, but my mom always just felt on edge while I was in that world because she felt like it was just unrelenting to women. And it was not, and it was like unsafe to my spirit. And she was right. I mean, I, I got out at the right time and I luckily found my way into stand up, which for many people, they would say the same thing. But after hip hop, stand up is like a walk in the flowers. All I can say is that my life is pretty strange. Kudos to anyone who understands why I started singing that after saying that sentence. Toxic masculinity is just that. It's, it's poison. poison. It's been poisoning our society for centuries. And it has been upheld by many institutions. Not just by individuals. By religion. By politics. By education. By the media. Etc. And just like racism and just like classism, its only ability to be challenged and made dysfunctional is for those same institutions to label it as toxic and to do what they do when they find out that something is toxic. They attempt to try to create some type of anecdote. They attempt to try to create some type of way of removing it. Um, or you have, you know, people like Monsanto who are like, oh, that's toxic. Let's do more of it. And that's what we have with our administration. We have an administration that's like, oh, poison? That's cool stuff. I like what happens when that happens. And you have to keep an eye out for that. Because whenever there's a good fight, there's, it's because there's a, a bad fight happening. So don't look at people who challenge toxic masculinity as misandrists. That's not it. We're actually philanthropists. We are. We love our fellow man. And we want good for everybody. And you can't have it when there's toxicity in the mix.